Hey, welcome back to Rebel Movement Podcast. My name is Billy. My pronouns are they, them, or she, her. And hi, I'm Jordan, and my pronouns are she, her. Oh, and today we're <laughs> super excited to introduce Meg. Hello, How hello. Doing? <laughs> Sorry. Thanks for having me on the show. Yeah. Oh my goodness, um, we're so excited. <laughs> I can't wait to have this conversation. I really yeah. been thinking about it for a few weeks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm yeah. happy. I'm yeah. ready for this too. This is my first two-on-one interview station <laughs> on a podcast, so it's gonna be energetic. I think. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. It's like we're hanging out, which yeah. is super fun. <laughs> um, why don't you tell us about yourself, like name and pronouns, and a bit about what you do? If that's cool. Yeah. So my name's Meg McCabe. I have she, her pronouns. I'm located in Connecticut. Don't know why I felt <laughs> the need to say that. Um, nope. And what I do, I'm an eating disorder recovery coach. And essentially what that is, we might dive into more detail, but I had lived experience with an eating disorder, you know, throughout like teenage years into early adulthood. I've kind of used that experience and created a career out of it. So I became certified in eating disorder recovery coaching. And basically I'm that person who helps you support goals around like healing your relationship with food and your body and movement, um, to help you reach recovery. And it's really awesome. I also have a podcast too, which is like my favorite thing ever. And (laughs) I also am the founder of a community called the recovery collective, which is um, kind of an accessible uh, place for people to go to get recovery, like energy. Like it's, it's like, mm-hmm. you, it's not treatment, but it's, a, it's mm-hmm. just, it's a community, which I can share more later on that too, if you want. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. No, yeah. it's something that, yeah. It's like what we've talked about a little bit, like we've touched on before, like just like having a, the support from like, like-minded people. So you don't need to feel like, you're like tiptoeing around or like cautiously approaching someone around like diet culture or anything like that. You just kind of know what the vibe is and you can kind of, uh, I don't know. It's good. It's, it's good with your like recovery support, that kind of a collective. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Well, I would, I'd say that's the number one thing I love about it is nobody needs to explain their eating disorder yeah. when they get in there. Right. Like we yeah. all sort of get it already. Yeah. And there's no, we don't need to do the education around what an eating disorder is. Cause everyone in there has yeah. one. Yeah. <laughs> like, I don't know. It's not like the real world. Yeah. Yes. It can make a big difference too. When you take away the, um, the possibility of there being a situation where it's unsafe, if that mm-hmm. makes sense. Like I, I, I um, have this happen a lot with my, um, group in the club because it's again it's a space away from diet culture stuff and I've had people say like it's like they don't have to worry about there being like a uncomfortable or mean comment or like a random phrase that can be so triggering like being in a space where you're like oh I don't have to worry about that it's like a huge weight off yeah absolutely yeah Mm -hmm. it's not Obviously it's hard to control triggers, right. And create yeah, yeah. a perfectly safe environment, but I think the right community, I'm sure your community has like guidelines and like important things that you make sure people are aware of when they join. 
but it mm-hmm. is a huge relief to just know that it's a safer space and there's no one going to be in there like selling you diet detox teas or whatever. Yeah. 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 Or 100%. claiming like, I think the other day I was so off topic. I feel like someone was, who's usually like, I thought was pretty like, like it would be a, a fairly safe place. And I know no one on social media owes you anything, but then it like suddenly took a turn into like how fasting was going to change your life. And I was like, Oh, <laughs> it's a good thing. Yeah. I didn't like <laughs> go all in on this thing or this, this person. So I was like, woof. Um, yeah. So you know, avoiding that kind of mm-hmm. shit really like, all of a sudden, like right back in, I was like, no, I tried that. Uh, that ruined my life, <laughs> but I'm glad it's working for you, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. 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 Wow. Oh goodness. So our first question that we were um going to ask, well, technically you wrote the question, but we wanted to make sure we talked talked about it was how do you challenge eating disorder thoughts? Mm. Well, this is this could be a whole episode in itself because there's yeah. so yeah, many. Let's let's make it one. Maybe it will <laughs> <That's> be. <true. laughs> yeah. Let's mm-hmm. drag let's drag it out, right? Let's let's um so first of all. Uh, one of the tools I use when I, with coaching is this tool called dialoguing in eating disorder recovery. Have either of you heard of dialoguing before? I I, I don't know. I'm not a term, like I'm not very familiar with any of the terms in eating disorder recovery. I feel like I, I kind of DIY'd my way through it. So I don't know a lot of like official stuff. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Okay, so I I asked a new client this is the other day, and she's like, I only know about dialoguing as in speaking to people, yeah. <laughs> like having a conversation. <laughs> like you're getting there. So <laughs> when you have an eating disorder, you know we're all kind of divided into little parts of ourselves, right? But mm. like fundamentally, there's an eating disorder part that lives within you, and then there's a healthy self part. Mm-hmm. And what I've been sort of trained to help people with is building up that healthy voice again, um, by challenging the eating disorder voice. And you can do that in the form of a dialogue. So if you have this repetitive eating disorder thought that like plagues your life, a simple exercise you could do is like write that little ED thought down on a piece of paper (laughs) or on (laughs) out, and then respond back with some sort of healthy self thought to challenge the eating disorder thought. And that's when we can go into a million different ways to challenge that eating disorder thought. And what Mm -hmm. I love about this method, honestly, is that you can, it's, it might be the first time in a long time you've given that healthy self. And when I say healthy self, I'm not talking like healthified health. Like I'm talking about like your inner core, your authentic self, your, the, your values. That's what I'm talking about. Like Mm -hmm your true self, your essence, not healthified. So your healthy (laughs) self is going to be, it might be the first time your healthy self has ever been like given the mic in a while, right? Mm -hmm. The first time you've given it space to talk. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of exciting in itself, but it's a dialogue. You write out your eating disorder thought, your healthy self thought, and you constantly challenge it could take a whole page or more of typing until you feel comfortable with maybe the place you've arrived to where you feel like maybe the healthy self could have actually won that little (laughs) inside your head. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, Yeah. No, that's such an interesting tip. I feel like, um, 
telling Billy this right before we started recording or yeah, with you. And um, it's like, this conversation is going to be so like interesting. It's like selfishly for me and timely for me, because I feel like, um, like with the example you just gave like that, like ED voice is getting really, really strong lately. And within the last like a few months, like I feel, I mean, obviously we know like recovery is not linear or whatever, like it, it ebbs and flows with like how good I feel about it. But I felt like I was in such a good place for such a long time. And then now I feel like I'm right back on the edge of it. Um, like right at that point where it, like, it feels like it would be really easy just to slide back into it and like, let it win because, um, it just feels like the easier thing to do. Like, Oh, this will, this time it'll work. And this time it'll make me happy. And like that, like, I think like the healthy part or like the, like, for me, it's like the logic side is listening, like, but you know, it won't like all these things, like you have all these examples already and you know, all these things, like you like to read and to get like all this, like scientific evidence as to like why this is not going to work. And so I keep pulling that back out. And then as you were speaking, I was also thinking like, um, how interesting that I think for me, that dialogue stuff, and I don't know if you found this to be true in your practice or whatever, um, like the health of I, or the health, the health of I, sorry, wrong word, like healthy me, that voice in the beginning was um, like a lot pulled from other people's work. Like I was relying mm-hmm. on other people, which I think was like a good initial kind of first step. Like I didn't have the words to explain to myself like why this wasn't going to work or to the maybe even like the confidence to challenge myself on these thoughts so i was like um relying a lot on other people and what other people were teaching me about like why going back on a diet or living that lifestyle is not going to work and it's not going to be um the path to like a happier healthier me i don't know it's just kind of mm-hmm. an interesting thought of like mm-hmm. pulling from other people and then slowly the confidence built on myself to be able to like I, it be like my voice challenging the thoughts and not somebody else's voice <laughs> challenging my own thoughts. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that's a really cool observation that you had just because like, I think it's like, it, it gives me the image of like using crutches when you're like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah like, just I'm like, pulling a little bit. Yeah. There are your crutches at first. And I think that, <laughs> that's like a useful way to start. Right. And then the yeah. more you tune into that healthy voice of yours, the more you get acquainted with what your voice actually sounds like. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. Which is probably the best route to go. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Do you mm-hmm. ever have people who are not like as aware of the ED voice that they don't yeah. know what it's saying? Yeah. Yeah. I get that a lot. I'll have clients ask me, like, I'm so confused. I can't tell if this is a healthy self-thought or an eating disorder mm-hmm. thought because usually mm-hmm. it's so ingrained or maybe you've been struggling for decades and it's become yeah. part of your identity. So a way to start like differentiating, first of all, getting clear on what your values are can be really helpful, like your core values and noticing if those thoughts are lining up with your core values or your eating disorder values. So mm-hmm. Eating disorder values are usually things like perfectionism, the thin ideal, like fitting in, whatever, whatever it might be, right? Like, um, and then core values are going to be really different. But I guess to sum up that question, like, um, if you are in doubt, if you're listening to your voice and it's, you can't tell if it's an eating disorder voice or a healthy voice thought, just ask yourself, is this coming, is this thought coming from a place of love or fear 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's usually totally a good differentiator. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's, yeah. that's it. And then here's my last tip on that. <laughs> I was just talking about this the other day. <laughs> if you are confused and this is new, this is like my new add on to this conversation. If you are chronically confused about a thought being healthy self or ED thought, I would say it's pretty much going to always be the ED thought. Like if you're confused, so like true. the, the eating disorder likes to gaslight you. So if you've ever been like gaslight lit in real life and you're just constantly confused, like the eating disorder will do the same thing. So if you're confused, like one yeah. of my clients, you know, this is a tough one. This is a really tough conversation. Like veganism, there's mm-hmm. so many like core healthy self values that can spring from wanting to be a vegan. And then there's some really like sneaky eating disorder values that can latch on to veganism too. So I've been having this conversation with a client of mine for a while and she's just been chronically confused. Mm-hmm. And that's just a sign to me and her that it might be more of an eating disorder thing, but that takes a lot of courage to admit. Yeah. Right. Um, well, yeah, no, when you're, when your ethics I, are wrapped up in it, um, that's such a good question is thinking, like as someone who's like, who's eating disorder or like eating disorder history was like very orthorexic and like that part of me of still wanting to like, you know, like all those values that I got from or whatever found in like being paleo and like CrossFit and like that kind of stuff of like wanting to take care of yourself and take care of your family and like, um, you know, eat in a way that fuels you like that. These are all the taglines that the, that mm-hmm. diet culture part of the universe uses, um, like, and why it was so appealing to someone like me, who was obviously very predestined to end up with orthorexia. Um, it's like, it's, it's hard then to navigate, like still wanting to eat in a way that will fuel my life. I don't know, in a way like that will support me having enough energy throughout the day that I can, um, whatever, like, uh, I don't know, like deal with things like, um, eventual, like, um, osteoporosis, like whatever, like those kinds of things that will come on throughout life, but without it becoming so overwhelming that it, like, for me, it always, like, it always feels like I'm walking that line between like falling into an eating disorder and like actually doing something that's going to be like, helpful to me and my body and living the way that I want to be able to live. Um, yeah. So I don't know if, I don't, I don't know what the question in there is. <laughs> it's just like, kind of like a, like challenging those thoughts as they come up bef- so they don't become like obsessive or like examining whether or not like they actually will serve a purpose for like a, healthier version of me even that term healthy like I I have a really weird relationship with that term too but (laughs) yeah a really good observation too because like um I think you mentioned you mentioned the word obsessive and I think that's really where you can start thinking about that line right Mm -hmm. flexibility is really key with recovery like being in the gray zone like with recovery it's not like you have to swing the opposite direction. Like you can, you know, there's gentle nutrition involved with recovery. It doesn't have to be like what, what some 
anti-diet circles look like just donuts and ice cream all day. Like it can be what you make Mm -hmm. your relationship with food to look like. And it can be, um, mindful of, of that. If it's coming from a place of love, if it's coming from a place of fear, it's going to get obsessive and you're going to feel that emotional response too. I think like if you go a day without having that, like perfect lunch or whatever, and you start yeah. panicking or freaking out, <laughs> yeah. you have to put a different oil than you're only laughing because I, yeah. that's exactly where I was <laughs> right, right? Yeah. Like maybe five years ago. Like it's still outstanding how far I've come, but also it's like, yep, no, that, that sounds ridiculous, but it's true. It's real. <laughs> find it. Yeah. I'll, I feel like go ahead, Billy. Um, I find it. So I had like an aha moment when you were talking about it being like you're gaslighting yourself. Mm. Um, I just was having a conversation this morning, to be honest with my therapist about like, if you've been in a situation where you were gaslit for a long time, um, in this case, I'm going to keep it really vague, but emotional abuse, <laughs> yeah. um, every now and then this thing comes up being like, what if it never happened? Like, what if, what if that's, what if that's like the villain? What if, you know what I mean? And I never, like I, we've talked about, you know, ga- diet culture in general being gaslighty, but I never, like there's such a clear connection because that's, that is exactly what happens with when you're in your recovery. It's like, oh, wait a minute. Like, what if mm-hmm. this is the villain? Like yes. this path is like in quotes, like the villain or like, what if this is the wrong, I don't know how what to- if I just did it wrong word, last but... time? What if I just yeah. did it wrong? Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. Or what if this like, you know, intuitive eating or like anti diet path, what if that's the wrong path? Like that's, mm-hmm. you know, it just, Ooh. it's like, you don't know anything. Yeah, like, this it's true. To be the wrong thing. I get that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So a really helpful thought or question that I was taught to ask, um, <laughs> as a coach is how is your eating, how's your eating disorder? Uh, how's your relationship with food? Like your relationship to others. And a lot of times there's that oh. like abusive relationship connection. So that's really where I started to realize, um, confusion means you're gaslighting yourself. A lot of this, I was in a really unhealthy relationship and I was constantly gaslighting myself into being like the villain in that situation and like confusing myself because I think there was a little, my core self knew that I was okay. And I was like, Mm. shouldn't be confused. And I knew the answer, but I was too afraid. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, that's where I drew the the connection. It's like, if we can say that our relationships with people, we can also have a relationship with our eating disorder. That's like a very Mm -hmm. personal relationship. So your eating disorder is going to get in there and just completely gaslight you. I think you guys were coming up with really good examples of what that could sound like. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) One thing I think, um, just like drawing on the same parallel in this situation, that example I gave, one of the things I, I try and do that helps. And I'm thinking maybe it'd be helpful for this uh, situation, whatever. I can't think of the word. This example is like, I asked myself, like, how did I feel then? In, in my case, it was like in general. And then how do I feel now? Um, and one of them is like in my body. How do I feel in my body now? How did I feel in my body then? And if I think about that in like eating disorder versus now, as well now it's it's so much different and I feel like if if that's a you know tactic for some people I don't know if this is something you already do or you're like 
I feel energetic now and I felt really tired then or something. I feel like that mm-hmm. sometimes can be, a, not that, that there's many other possible um, things that could be attributing to those things. Like there's, our lives are complicated. Maybe you didn't sleep for a couple of days. That would also be why you're tired, but you know what I mean in general, like how do you feel now and how did you feel then? Mm, I think that's a really good idea too. Um, and that's where the gaslighting comes in too, because the truth yeah. is you at the face, like, oh, I've, I've been feeling like crap in my body. I feel horrible. Like I'm obsessive. I'm like, mm-hmm. I don't know, moody as hell, mal- like not nourishing myself. I feel awful, but the eating disorder is going to be like, but you feel better, you yeah. know, <laughs> like, that's true. but then we need the reality. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true. On the anti-diet path, you know, like, yeah. Cause I don't even think I knew at then, um, that I wasn't healthy. I was like, I was the vegan who was using that as partially eating disorder slash orthorexia stuff. And, um, not, that's not how it started for sure, but that's what it turned into. And I 100% was like, I feel great. I feel fine. And then when I started to eat differently, I had to stop being vegan because I'm allergic to everything. Um, (laughs) short person. (laughs) I, I think I ate, I think I said this on the podcast before, but I ate turkey pepperettes. It's like one of my first cravings. Um, I ate like half the bag of turkey, turkey pepperettes and slept better than I'd slept in like 10 years and then had so much energy the next day. I was like, what the (laughs) fuck? (laughs) I love that example. Yeah. I love that because it's so true. Like sleep will get, will convince anyone to break their dieting. Like if you sleep better and you're eating more, like, like not say you switch from veganism to non-veganism and you're sleeping better. That's like such a motivator to <laughs> yeah. on the path. Right. But that's, that's really interesting. Yeah. It's so true. <laughs> Even stuff like I was having conversation with someone t- today about, uh, milk. And I was like, Oh my God, I used to be lactose intolerant. Like I, I literally <laughs> just finished a full glass of milk for no reason. I didn't grow up drinking glasses of milk. It's the weirdest thing I've ever <laughs> put in my body for me because it's, it's just something no, I don't no, do. Okay. But today I was like, my kids asked for milk after supper. Again, we don't do this. So I was like, yeah, sure. Whatever. Have a glass of milk. And then I was like, I'll have one too. <laughs> and like, I was like, Oh my God, it doesn't even like, it doesn't even occur to me that I used to I, like physically be unable to have milk. And so it's mm. like, yeah, it's like collecting little bits and pieces of things that remind you why you're doing this, <laughs> like being able to have milk without, yeah. you know, needing like assistance <laughs> afterwards yeah. uh, <laughs> or like, you know, <laughs> sleeping better because you're eating like, you know, whatever animal protein Turkey that makes pepper. you like actually feel <laughs> <laughs> warmer and more satiated or whatever in your body. So yeah. like collecting like, I guess like in the combating the gaslighting thing, it's like collecting the little tiny examples that prove why this is the right choice. Because like, no matter how appealing, I guess is the only word I can come up with right now, like the ED stuff is every once in a while. Um, like I, I had a lot of like things that I thought I couldn't eat because they made me physically uncomfortable. And like, you shouldn't be unless you're like legitimately allergic to something, but like eating shouldn't hurt. You know what I mean? Like you should be able to have a meal and then not be in pain afterwards. Like that's, it's not normal to be like, oh, I just don't eat like breakfast, lunch or supper for whatever reason, because I feel uncomfortable afterwards or I can't eat at restaurants because it always hurts my stomach or, or whatever it is like that. 
um, again, like barring like food, like legitimate food allergies, like that, that shouldn't be um, part of your life. And so like reminding myself that too, like my, my stomach actually feels fine most days, like, which is mm -hmm. again, like what a healthy body should feel like. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. I think with those things, it's like, if you're, if you're telling yourself, you should avoid all of these things and labeling yourself. <laughs> the list keeps getting bigger and bigger. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm lactose intolerant. It's like, are you, maybe you should ask a doctor or are you <laughs> I see that a lot because it helps the eating disorder, right? Like oh, yeah. it yeah. the eating disorder voice. Told myself so I had celiac disease. Like I don't like <laughs> how convenient though for the, eating right. Like, how convenient. Oh, oh yeah. I just can't eat bread. Yeah. <laughs> So convenient. Like, so that's where it's like you, if you find you're that person, you should go to the doctor. And like, as an eating disorder recovery coach, I will make sure that I get a doctor saying that this is a legitimate thing. Mm -hmm. Um, I'll have people come to me listing all of their, like, I don't know, special, special food needs, dietary needs. And we're going to have to strip back and investigate that like mm -hmm. just a little bit. And, um, I think Billy, you were saying like when you were a vegan, uh, you, there was a part of you like, I feel better doing this cause I'm a vegan and, and I feel like I'm being quote healthy or whatever it is. Um, I always, I also want to point out that, you know, it, you're going to sometimes feel immediately good if you're listening yeah. to eating disorder, like mm -hmm. sometimes appeasing the e eating disorder feels good. And that's yeah, where that's really confusing. Right. Yeah. And yeah. so if, if people are like, I'm a vegan because I, I, um, it makes, I feel better eating this way. Do mm -hmm. you feel better eating this way? Or does the eating disorder not yell at you all day? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And yeah. I've read, I don't know the science behind this, so I'm not going to go into the specifics just in case I'm wrong. Um, <laughs> but I've read in a few places and had a couple conversations with folks in this sort of area about how, when you first make a like change like that sometimes you're it can like not just because the eating disorder wise but your body can feel different and it doesn't mean it's going to feel different forever it doesn't mean it's going to continue to feel that like level of good or for example that like maybe the first like I don't know couple of weeks or whatever but then after that it changes mm, yeah it's very true um your body adapts so if you're only eating veggies all day your body's going to get good at digesting veggies and really bad at digesting other things. Like, right. Yeah, so it has yeah. to, like the chemicals in your digestive system aren't optimized to maybe break down chicken or what, you know, foreign foods. So the only way to really heal, well, there, I, that's not the only way, but one way to heal <laughs> the gut is to start reintroducing like all foods again. Mm -hmm. uh, you have allergies, but it helps with the digestive tract. And if you're really depleted yeah. energy wise, this is another thing. Your digest, your digestive system will shut down because there's not enough calories mm. like to actually have it function properly. It's like not even worth it to have that system on yeah. like, like a bus route. It's like, it's not, we're just pull funding from there. Yeah, like, like it's fine. <laughs> all the limited calories you have, like if yeah. you're in that really malnourished state, they get like used for the heart and the brain. Mm -hmm. So if you're having digestive issues, there's a good chance you're probably just not eating enough calories to get that track back on, like get that mm -hmm. system 
back online, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So that's kind of an interesting thought too, it but it's really uncomfortable. It's actually, I feel really bad sometimes for people going through eating disorder recovery because you have to sit through the real physical discomfort of eating more. You have to eat more yeah. and yep. then you know, <laughs> sit with all the digestive stuff. It's not fun. No, even like finding time to stop and eat when you're not used to eating on a regular basis, like scheduling that back into your life. Like I always say, like, I thought it would be really bad and there are some drawbacks to it, but like going through recovery and having kids at the same time, um, kind of works out in some ways for me because they need to eat regularly. And so I will just make myself sit down and eat whatever they're eating, like throughout the day. Um, so like, that is like, I don't know how else it would have happened for me other than to like to be forced to like come to a stop like four times a day to like sit down and eat with them. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's like something that I can like go over a little bit more now. Like I can, you know, be like, Oh, I'm, I'm actually like not hungry. I'd rather do dishes. So I don't have to do them later or whatever, like that kind of stuff. But, um, like having the routine because I needed to like stop the whole day to get them to eat. I was like, well, might as well make myself eat as well. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but yeah, I know. Cause before that it was too difficult to like, you know, stop. And then it'd be like three and, you know, supper soon. And then it just becomes like a whole thing of like, when am I actually going to fit in eating throughout the day, but having to feed that makes it a little yeah. <laughs> smidgen easier for me. Yeah. Nice little accountability piece for you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It can definitely be tricky when like other mental health, not that this isn't in itself a valid, very valid mental health thing, but when other mental health stuff or symptoms come up too, where you're like, sometimes you don't feel like eating, not necessarily the root of it isn't necessarily the eating disorder. It's like you're depressed or you're too anxious and um, it can be really hard to like balance and juggle all those things because you're like, Hey, but I want to do recovery. And your brain's like, but I don't want to do anything. So yeah, no, we're done today. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but one thing that I, that I do sometimes with that, or that I found really almost like freeing, which sounds, I feel like that might sound dramatic when you hear what I'm going to say, but, but you don't need to eat the, the meal as a meal. You can just eat like the parts of it. You can just have like if you're have, making a salad, you can just have like the lettuce and then mm-hmm. you can just eat like a pepper. Or if you're having a sandwich, just like eat the components. You don't have to make it, mm-hmm. which uh, my, we, when we had that kind of thing growing up, I, people say charcuterie now, but I called it snacks for dinner, um, which feels way more fun. <laughs> yeah. I call it charcuterie now too, but uh, growing up, it was a bits and pieces <laughs> supper. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> And that's like a valid meal. Like, you don't have to make food. If my favorite meals. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, that's like really being compassionate for your other mental health <laughs> management stuff. Like, yeah. like a way to check in with your energy. Like I don't have energy to make a meal or cook, but I know I need to eat today. So yeah. it's now <laughs> dinner. <laughs> yeah. Especially if you're trying to navigate like healing from an eating disorder, which is just emotional turmoil in itself. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe mm-hmm. like redefine what your acceptable meal is like let it be the pieces of a meal and not an actual mm. traditional type meal mm. I like that idea that's something like I think could be done well with like maybe a dietitian's help you know mm. getting yeah. a dietitian on board to say like hey 
you know, I don't have the emotional energy to cook every day or make a meal. What can I do that's convenient and and quick and easy that's sufficient enough and enough amount wise Mm -hmm. and nutritionally if there's some needs there that I can do. That's what that seems like a good option. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 Um, Something again, not to be the person with kids, but like um because I (laughs) have kids (laughs) and I was like, how do I feed them? And then I end up following people who are like basically like the anti-diet of the feet kid feeding world. Um you know, who are, you know, from them, I gather, like, mostly just like try to hit like, um, a fat and a protein and a fruit or veg or whatever, like, and, uh, carbs usually work their way in because like, they're in pretty much everything like vegetable wise, fruit wise. Um, and then, you know, like the reason for this is also that it'll keep them full longer. Well, like all these kinds of things. So I'm just like, even when I feed myself now, it's just like, okay, is there something that's going to keep me full? And then something that, you know, I can, you know, whatever else, like a protein and a fat and then a fruit or veg. Excellent. Done. You know, I just try to keep it as like bare bones as possible. And it's like, if you're not feeling like eating, like, oh, a way to get kids to eat more is like, have something that's like a dip. So you're like, oh, great. Look, hummus, guacamole, (laughs) like uh, (laughs) Greek yogurt. Like you just like, um, I feel like even as adults, like following these kinds of like the, like kid food tips, it's not just like, um, I don't know. I feel like when we were growing up, kid food was like chicken nuggets or whatever, <laughs> which is fine. Um, but this is a lot more of just like break it down to like the, like, what is it like the minimum effective dose or whatever? Like what's like the like most bare bones thing that's going to get you through from this meal to the next meal. It's like, well, yeah. something that's filling enough and this is what's going to be filling enough. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. With enough food as well. Yeah. I mean, you don't need to eat a crap ton. I don't serve them a lot either. Um, you know, but like they had apples and peanut butter for lunch, which is like great. And then they made it another two hours and then we had supper. (laughs) So yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I feel like that works into like the, um, like setting goals in recovery piece that we also wanted to touch on. Um, yeah. So like aside from redefining what a meal might be, what is like a common, initial goal that a client yeah. set. common initial goal. It really depends. Cause there's so many different types of eating disorders. So like, you're either going to attack it. Like I want to increase my amount of food I'm eating. If you're more like on the restrictive side, or it might be, I'm going to minimize behaviors. So of course, like my first tip for goal setting is meet yourself where you're at and like check in with your energy. Like I see this a lot, like a lot of people want to like go zero to a hundred with recovery real fast. And then they're like, I'm going to be all in tomorrow. I'm just going (laughs) to have three meals, three snacks a day. And I'm just not even, this is the new me. Right. And like, that's not the right goal. Like it's very black and white thinking. Right. I, Mm -hmm. I like to take baby steps and it's either, yeah, again, looking at either the behaviors you want to minimize and eliminate maybe, or looking at food and asking yourself, like, this is more for restrictive folks how much, if I can add more, how can I do that? Right. Like what variety can I add more? Can I be more spontaneous? Can I, you know, as amounts wise, where can I be? Um, so I don't know if if there's like a type of scenario, I could maybe help you with a example of a goal. 
um, that I would set. (laughs) (laughs) Try to think. Yeah. Oh, I just think about that zero to a hundred thing. Uh, which is like, um, so I was trying to like reintroduce, um, bread because I was just like, um, at a place where I thought I was doing pretty decently with like recovery, but I knew like if it, this like piece had been nagging me for a couple months where I was like, well, what if bread is standing in the way of you being like fully recovered or like fully being able to let go? You don't know. You know what I mean? And so like, maybe this is like me talking over your answer, but whatever, (laughs) I'll get feedback from how I did it versus how you would recommend doing it. So like the first thing I did was I just like stopped asking at restaurants, whether or not things were gluten-free. I just kind of like went off of like things that I would usually order that are probably gluten-free, but I didn't like double check anything and like nothing was happening. So I was like, okay, well, either I'm like nailing this or, or there's nothing to worry about. Um, nailing it in terms of like picking the exact thing on the menu that was, didn't have any gluten whatsoever, or, um, you know, there's not like I can tolerate gluten and I convinced myself for almost a decade that I couldn't. Um, and then I was like, I really feel like that's like something that's standing in my way. Like that, that will make, like, if it's, real and I can't actually tolerate this, then I know for sure. But the only way I'm ever going to know is if I like bring it back into my diet fully and like then move on to like dealing with whatever consequence there might be. Um, And uh, I think it was like one day I was in the car um, and my baby was hungry and we were like still too far away from home to make it there. And so we went to, we ended up at like Starbucks and I was like, okay, well, we'll get her, um, a grilled cheese and she wasn't really eating it and it smelled really good. <laughs> and so then I just started eating it. <laughs> and then in, part of me thought that like initially, like the first bite, I was just going to like be in so much pain and like nothing happened. So I had more and more and more and more. And I was like, you know what? I'll just see you finish the whole sandwich and then we'll see what happens tomorrow. And nothing happened tomorrow. And then it was like, I think we were going away for a trip. And so I was like, okay, well this whole trip, I'm just going to like, you know, uh, I didn't call it a cheat day, but like kind of deal with it that like, like in that mentality of like, pretend there's no rules. Mm-hmm. And then, but I was like, I don't want, <laughs> I don't want this to become a pattern with every time I go away, there's no rules, but we'll just call this a tester weekend. <laughs> I tested it out. And then um, anyways, and then a few weeks later was like, okay, well, I'm just going to go all in for a month and we'll see what happens. Um, but the weirdest part is I was trying to figure out like um, how other people brought gluten back into their diets. And I couldn't find, like, you can find everything online. Couldn't find any information about anybody else who'd done this before. And I was like, but how is this possible? Um, Like, or not possible, but like how, like, I'm not feeling very good right now, but I don't know if that's because I haven't had this, like in my body in a really long time, or if I actually can't digest this. (laughs) Um, And then I, I just eventually chalked it up to there now being a lot more fiber in my diet as to like why I was feeling a little uncomfortable at first. But then uh, if anyone else wants to do this, it took only about a month and then it was fine again. <laughs> so um, and now I, I mean, oh, it's disappeared. I had like two loaves of sourdough that I made back there <laughs> before. <laughs> it's moved to a different part of the kitchen now. Um, but yeah, so I guess a little bit tiny, tiny goals. I don't know how 
I think you, you would have done it. <laughs> yeah. I think you, I mean, you were kind of going off of your intuition, right? Like mm-hmm. the example of saying to yourself, I'm not going to ask for gluten-free items on them. <laughs> yeah. That is an example of maybe a little homework challenge I would give my clients. Mm-hmm. Like they're always talking about it. I would say, and uh, honestly, sometimes that's all we can really challenge like emotionally mm-hmm. that week. Like people will get so freaked out. Like, I'm not going to do much more than that. And so that could be the goal. You're going to go to this restaurant. You're not going to ask about what's gluten-free mm-hmm. and you're going to, you know, maybe you'll have half of the bread piece of <laughs> and then observe. Yeah. Observe the difference the next day. Right. That's like a tiny baby step that, you know, then you build upon that. So maybe, I don't know, like, <clears throat> I assume there's a lot of gluten-free breads out there. Like <laughs> um, you could start swapping some out, right? And being like, okay, maybe I could just try like a nice little French baguette and see what that, how that sits in my body. And if I digest that, okay. And it, but again, it, before you do these goals, really do get cl- clarity on if you are gluten-free from a doctor. Yeah. <laughs> yes. yeah. Like that's my first yeah. step. But Mm -hmm. besides that, like, it's really a conversation between you and your professional team on like how hard and how fast you want to challenge this and integrate this back into your life. Uh, And then it could it could look like something like, like a mid-level goal could be, I'm going to have, I'm going to integrate like bread, like bread and cereal at least once a day Mm -hmm. and routine and see what happens or maybe that's every other day and then you're just building up confidence and and then you start to think to yourself why was I even afraid of this this is a very normal part of my mm-hmm. life mm-hmm. yeah that's true um so what would a suggestion be when there's like a lot of fear coming up with some of this work mm, so like again I think it helps when you do take it one baby step at a time. So when you do challenge something on a very small level, um, it can be to a level where maybe there's not a ton of fear coming up, but you're freaked out, but determined. Right. Mm -hmm. And then, and then you see what happened. And sometimes it's more of an observational study in a way you're like, Oh, I survived that. Now I have confidence to face a bigger fear or a scarier challenge. Um, but you know, with fear, it, it can also come, come into like this. That's where I feel like people fall into like hitting walls or running into the same cycle over and over and over again. Um, mm-hmm. you have a debilitating fear. Um, like you're, you're so anxious about eating that you actually physically can't eat. Mm-hmm. And that's when I think a higher level of care needs to be assessed too. Yeah. Right. So maybe you need to, you know, get, more professional help or go to residential treatment, or maybe you need medication. Maybe you need some anti-anxiety medication so that eating becomes a little bit more tolerable. It doesn't have mm-hmm. to be a permanent fix, but it could be a temporary thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but f- yeah, the fear is very much the hardest piece of recovery. And it depends on how, you know, I think it depends on your plethora of mental illnesses and like what's coming up there and like trauma if trauma's mm-hmm. there you find you're stuck in the same cycles it's very much maybe a trauma thing 
And in that case, that's where me as a coach, I'm not qualified to help someone with that. So I'd refer them to like a psychologist, psychologist, someone who might be a therapist Mm -hmm. help. Yeah. Um, And then what would you say or remind someone who, um, I guess you've kind of already touched on it, but they've like been out of um, eating disorder they've, you know, they've been recover recovering for, let's say like a few years and for some reason or another, they have, maybe they have like a health thing come up, um, mm-hmm. or something like that where they are having to pay more attention to how like their, their care in that sense. Like, what would you say to someone when they're struggling with eating disorder stuff then? Does that and make then, sense? Like a <laughs> thumbs up and yeah. then yeah. Yeah. Um, well, first of all, self-compassion is huge. So recognizing, okay, not only do I have an eating disorder to try to manage and heal and recover from, I am also dealing with a health issue. And so having compassion with yourself, knowing that that's really freaking hard to do. Right. And so you might not make progress as fast as someone who just has an eating disorder and no health conditions to keep in mind. Right. So mm-hmm. the self-compassion is huge there. And then also questioning, are you getting dietary advice to manage this illness? And is that legitimate dietary advice? Where did you get that from? Um, and question everything. So question um, am I relying too much on food to heal me? Right? Like maybe other factors that you can change before you quickly lean on dieting to heal whatever health issue you're trying to manage. I assume that was part of the question, but like, maybe it isn't necessarily a diet thing, diet solution. Maybe it's a sleep solution. Maybe it's a therapy solutions, rest, yeah. <laughs> like, um, relationship stuff. There's a lot that might manifest a physical illness that you could experience yeah. first. Yeah. yeah. No, I thought about that exact question when, uh, when I was pregnant too, because one of the biggest things for me was like, obviously the first time I was pregnant, I was terrified of getting weighed, but luckily my midwives were like, it's fine. You don't need to get weighed. <laughs> we don't, we'll write that down. No one ever has to weigh you unless we absolutely need to know for a dosage, like medication wise. Um, and then she's like, and then you can just close your eyes. Um, but the other thing was like the um, gestational diabetes. Cause I was like that in itself always comes with like a crap ton of like diet information. Sometimes I don't know if my midwives would do it but I've heard of like with doctors having to um like go to uh like a diet coach like a a person who's going to walk you through what you need to be eating now um and I always thought that 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 was like it obviously not the scariest thing to happen (laughs) for me during pregnancy but like that would be up there in terms of like I don't know how this would impact like all the other recovery I've been doing if I was just like had to go through that um, experience. It was definitely like one of those top of mind, um, things I, I haven't had to go through yet, uh, which I'm really lucky for, but, um, yeah, I was thinking about how like a health thing that would come up. And for me, that 
that's like one of the things that I think about is like getting diagnosed with gestational mm-hmm. diabetes and then having to pay attention to that. And there's like so much pressure to like do it right because it's not just you, it's you're harming your fetus and all this other stuff at the same time. Mm-hmm. And then um, also trying not to have an eating disorder when you get out of this at the same time. Um, yeah. yeah, I feel like that would be really Holy moly. Example I thought of, I yeah. mean, that's such a triggering thing, right. For somebody who's managing, like trying to heal an eating disorder and then mm-hmm. getting gestational diabetes. <laughs> and then like, that would be such a difficult situation to go through. And I think that's where like talking to an anti-diet dietitian would be. Oh, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Who really like, yeah. I don't know enough to speak to that subject, but yeah, that sounds really scary. Yeah. And there's so many professionals, like medical professionals out there who are not anti-diet culture and will put more harmful information your way if, mm-hmm. you know, you were have to have to go to them. Yeah. Well, yeah. Like I watched an acquaintance go through it and I was just like, oh my goodness, I don't know. Like from the outside, it was really easy to be like, okay, I think you should talk to an anti-diet dietitian, but also like, I think that these things are probably not applicable and like, that doesn't need to be so strict. And like, also it has nothing to do with what you ate before. It has to do with like your body. It's an inappropriate insulin reaction. Like that's all it is. You didn't do anything. It just happened. It's just Mm -hmm. genetics. Um, But I don't know, (laughs) going through it, I feel like would be very uh, a very different experience than being able to yeah. do it from the outside. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, definitely again, question everything, yeah. right? Like <laughs> yeah. challenging it with the insulin comment that you made, like, and then like, look at the practice, like who is the doctor you're talking to? Like, mm-hmm. is, is there weight stigma happening in this office? Like, is there fat phobia in this office? Like, can you see that? Like, are they prescribing diets to everybody who walks in? Like, and I think that's, can be hard to look and find if you're like new to it. Yeah. Right? But I think like, again, question the doctor and be, and, and think to yourself, is this doctor like informed mm-hmm. enough on like helping someone with an eating disorder or anti-diet mindset? You know, yeah, that phobia is a real thing. Yeah. Hmm. No, the question I love with that, I've seen, I've never used it, but I've seen like people post or whatever. It's like, and like, what kind of advice would you give somebody who was like thinner than, you know what I mean? Like when you're giving me this diet advice or whatever, like if I came in and I was like 80 pounds lighter, what would you be telling me? Like if weight wasn't an, an issue here in like, not that it is an issue, oh. but like, you know what I mean? If you didn't see how much I weighed what would you be telling me? Mm-hmm. That's such a good question. And also I've heard, um, just put it back on the doctor to show you the studies, right? Mm-hmm. Like they're like, oh, you need to lose weight to help heal this illness you have. Mm-hmm. Just I'd like to see the studies that support yeah. them because usually mm-hmm. there, there's pretty much none. I think like <laughs> most diet studies like show failure rates, but yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah, that's true. Thank you so much for, for coming and talking with us today. Super You're appreciate so it. It's been so much fun. Um, before I forget, can you tell people where to find you? 
I know you said something at the beginning, but can you say it again, just in case people (laughs) didn't write it down the first time? (laughs) Okay. So to find me, I would say check out the full and thriving podcast, which is like more info about, I don't know. That's like my best resource for everyone here. (laughs) Um, And then Instagram, I'm at Meg underscore McCabe. Um, I also am the founder of the Recovery Collective. So it's an online virtual community where you can go and we do like group coaching. We do peer support. We do gentle yoga, trauma-informed yoga. It's like a fun group where we we all are, you know, everyone's either recovered or recovering. Um, and it's pretty affordable. So I highly recommend checking that out. Um, and then my website, which is totally outdated, but if you want to check it out, <laughs> cashmccabe.com, but I have and, way too much stuff to do to constantly. <laughs> <I'm saying. laughs> and McCabe is M-C-C-A-B-E, right? Yes. Okay. Awesome. awesome. Thank you so Thank much you. for having Thank me you and so much. letting me share my resources with your community. Yeah, we'll have to have you back. We have a whole list of stuff to go through. So we'll have, to <laughs> have another conversation. Awesome. This is fun. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Thank you so much. It's been very fun. Um, so if you would like to ask any questions, um, either to us or to Meg, we can bring it up. And if we have a follow-up episode or next episode, you can send them to info at movewithbilly.com, B-I-L-L-I-E. And that will get forwarded to Jordan as well. So Jordan can also read the questions. And, um, if you, I forgot all the things I was going to say, you can follow me on Instagram at movewithbilly. Website is guess it move with Billy and then we can follow Jordan where <laughs> uh, on Instagram only at uh, Jordan dot at Al E-T-A-L and um, that's it that's the only place you can find me <laughs> <laughs> that's it <laughs> but then again if you email me um, it will get sent to Jordan too so questions comments requests random stories tell us all of them <laughs> thanks so much for listening bye 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 Ha <laughs> ha